What up, though? Welcome to the Fat Boy MMA podcast, where we talk about everything combat sports, but mainly MMA. If you want to hear a couple regular MMA fans talk about MMA history, notable fighters, up and coming fighters, and everything in between, then this is the podcast for you. Now, I should warn you, we're not professionals, but we are big fans of combat sports. If that sits well with you, sit back, grab a beverage, relax, and let's go. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Fat Boy MMA Podcast. I am your host, DC. And of course, I got my co-host, Hilbert Locke. Hey, what's up, y'all? So, on the last episode we did, it was a Gloves and Roses. And we talked about Takanori Gomi. And there was a person that came up over and over and over again in that conversation. And it's all Locke's fault. Okay. <laughs> Always. I'm excited. You can hear I already got ice clinking. I'm ready for this one. Okay, Before you even get so- into that, I will say, I feel like. At first, when you kick, I mean, I like all your most of your ideas. I'm always on board to try anything, but I really feel like this uh, gloves and roses might be my favorite series, only because it could include anybody. You know, the fallen goat—it's fun; these are great, but you spend more time debating if they qualify than actually doing the episode. You know, I like this. This is for everybody. No, I agree. That's a, that's a really good point because yeah, that is that's one of the big questions we ask, like. You know, are they a fallen goat? Should they be in that category? Should they still be considered a goat? You know, so to your point, there's so much debate there. Um, And with Gloves and Roses, we can pretty much talk about anything and anybody with these fighters because it's really just giving gloves. You know, I think I mentioned in the last episode, they don't even have to, they could be a 500 fighter that for some reason we really want to talk about that person and give them their flowers, I see nothing wrong with it, you know? Whereas with the Fallen Goat, it's very specific and very targeted as to, you know, the caliber of fighter that we're talking about. So good point. I got one guy that falls somewhere in between both, I think. We'll talk about it. In between the Fallen Goat and the uh, Gloves and and Roses. Gloves and Roses. Yeah. So for this episode, we're going to be talking about one half of the infamous Diaz brothers, 209, Stockton, California. (laughs) Stockton Slap. (laughs) So we'll be talking about uh, Nick Diaz. So. You know, whether you're a a fighter from back in the day or a a new fighter, you probably know Nick Diaz, you know, even if it's, you know, if you're a newer fighter, you may know him through his brother, his younger brother, Nate Diaz. Uh, But Nick Diaz kind of started off the family, so to speak, down this path of uh, of MMA and, and showmanship. He has a record of 26 and 10. Notable wins. 
BJ Penn, Paul Daly, uh, the male cyborg, Evangelista Santos, KJ Nunes, Sakurai, uh, uh, Frank Shamrock, Takanori Gomi. Now, Gomi's a controversial one. I still give Diaz the win because it didn't get turned into a no contest because he was on steroids or something like that. He tested positive for marijuana for anybody that doesn't know. But he won, and as Locke pointed out in the last show on Takanori Gomi, in spectacular fashion. So I count that as a win. Uh, Gleason Tebow, Josh Neer, Drew Fickett, Robbie Lawler, Jeremy Jackson, and Chris Lytle. Other notable fights, Anderson Silva, GSP, Carlos Condon, Sean Shirk, Joe Riggs, Diego Sanchez, and Carl Parisian. Now, last time... Now, for the record, though, co- I, I did hear he beat the shit out of uh, Joe Riggs in that the rematch at the <laughs> hospital. So I don't know if that counts as a win or not, but for all accounts, it was a clear victory. Listen, for anybody that does not know what Locke is talking about, just YouTube it because not only is it a great story, they literally have like... Uh, cartoon reenactments and stuff on YouTube of that whole incident. But last time you caught me and I missed somebody, is there anybody of note that Nick fought that I missed that you have in your notes or anything by chance? Uh, I was talking shit, so I don't know if I heard it. Did you say Uh Carl Parisian? Yep, I did. Yeah, I think you got it all. Okay, cool. So, Awards, accolades, titles, things of that sort. So he was UFC. He uh, he never was able to get the title, but he does have fight of the night bonus and a submission of the night bonus. Uh, in Strike Force, he did become the welterweight champion, and he had the most successful welterweight title uh, defenses. Uh, WEC, he became the welterweight champion there. And then he also, which I did not know, I didn't know that he actually did sport karate, but he has a welterweight championship in uh, in sport karate in uh, ISKA sport karate, which I was like, wow, okay. He is, uh, you know, he's known to be a triathlete. Now, I did notice in his uh, wiki profile, it said that he was an ultimate athlete tournament runner up and i'm guessing that falls somewhere along that it's probably some type of triathlon or something like that i didn't specifically look it up because it didn't seem to be fight related and uh, going back to that gomi fight he did get fight of the year for that takanori gomi fight back in 2007 now outside of that he's decorated in uh, brazilian jiu-jitsu uh, which is kind of where he got his start at in jiu-jitsu under Cesar Gracie. He was the U.S.-Brazilian uh, jiu-jitsu open uh, uh, gold medalist at Purple Belt. And then he also won the Pan Ams at Brown Belt. Promotions he's fought for, WEC, UFC, Pride, Elite XC, Dream, and Strike Force. So that's pretty much everything. A, a, a note as similar to when we talked about Gomi, he's another guy that's fought for pretty much all the you know big promotions. 
And, you know, he's had, uh, you know, some titles along the way there. And for those that don't know, uh, both Elite XC and Strike Force were American promotions that were trying to become the biggest competition to the UFC. I mean, so it was a big deal to fight for one of those when they came out. And in particular, Elite XC, they paid a lot more than the UFC at the time. So that said, they're trying to build the Yankees, throwing money at a problem. Exactly. So that said, anything else you want to throw out there before we get into any of the questions there, Locke? He's also second only to his brother and most scary humans ever smacked. <laughs> and also most smacks in the UFC, right? You know, they pretty much started. Super Smack League, or whatever that thing is oh, called, yeah. that I'll never watch. That, yeah. That's the stupidest thing ever, by the way. I would never watch that. But yeah. It's, uh, I, I don't, Dana's involvement with it, and, and now he's trying to dig in and pretend like it's cool. Like it's, uh, they need to distance himself from that. Yeah, not to sidetrack too much, but just throw something out on that. Uh, and the, the people that are a part of it are, already complaining and stuff and saying they don't make enough money. And one of the, I guess one of the top guys or something said he was only offered $2,000. And, you know, we know by watching boxing and MMA and stuff like that, how brain damage works. And that's what you've been able to block people from Move, hitting you. roll. Yeah. You have to stand there with a straight neck and just let somebody slap you with all of their might. That is very stupid in my opinion, but that's neither here nor there. (laughs) The Stockton slap. So back to the the original power slap, slap. the Stockton slap. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So other than that, very first question, and this one might be a hard one because I mean, he had some great fights pretty much all the way until the end. The only thing that I would say just wasn't a good fight was he should have never came back and fought Robbie Lawler. That was terrible, right? But for the most part... I I will say this. I'm not saying he couldn't ever beat Robbie Lawler. I'm saying mm -hmm. you don't take that giant... Because at moments he looked good. Now there was some, you know, physical issues and stuff like that, but should at least probably get like a tune-up fight or two to make sure that you're even competing at that level before you jump in the deep water with a guy that never stopped competing. Because yeah. I think he showed potential that he could still fight with Robbie Lawler cal- caliber a fighter. Yeah, you know? he he looked the way you can tell he really hadn't been training or anything. Not Not saying that maybe he wasn't rolling or something like that, but one of the things that made him so dangerous back in the day, going back into my point, you know, he... He did a lot of triathlons and different things like that. He stayed in phenomenal shape, phenomenal cardio shape. You never really saw any fat on him. And the style of fighter he is, that was important. But to actually ask the first question, what was your favorite Nick Diaz fight? So, so many to pick through. And, uh, you know, it was really, really tough because the reason people love him are because of the fights. Because if you look at the record, you know, there's plenty of L's on there. It's not the worst record, but it's the the fact that, you know, he's a hard out every time. So every fight is impressive. Um, And to me, I feel like even my top two 
or probably way off from most people's. But so the two that I narrowed it down to was the Cyborg and the Paul Daly fight, which were both welterweight championship defenses and strike force. Mm-hmm. And both great fights, both back and forth, uh, both guys just, you know, just banging. But I'm going to go with the Paul Daly fight. And I think that not only is it my favorite Nick Diaz fight, I think it could potentially be the most exciting round in MMA history. Yeah, that was a crazy, crazy fight. And Paul Daly is one of those guys that most people may not know about. And he because was, he got kicked out of the UFC for sucker punch and cost check. Yeah, yeah, he was a he was a UFC fighter, a good fighter. You know, he's from the UK. He's really known for his boxing, and you know, one of those guys that just you wouldn't know looking at him, but really just had KO power. And he kind of had a mental lapse in a fight. You know, fighting Josh Koscheck, which you know. Most people would understand because it's Josh Koscheck and he's an asshole, right? <laughs> but uh, well, and, and yeah, and Paul Daly's from the cobbles. We just we mm-hmm. just assume because he's British that he yeah. can't be from a hood, and right. that's very far from the truth. Yep, agreed. And so yeah, he 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 sucker punched, and it wasn't even that hard of a punch. It's not like the sucker punch knocked him out, but it was a big foul, and it was one of those things where Dana White said. He never fight in the UFC again, and and you know he was cut, and he went on to you know have some big fights in a few other promotions. But he, by the time him and Nick Diaz fought, that was still a really dangerous fight, and a lot of people thought that Daly was going to win that fight, and it was a crazy, wild, like you said, exciting one round. Yeah, I don't, I don't. I don't disagree with either one of those. And, and the, if if you go to our TikTok, mm-hmm. we have the full round in uh in parts on the TikTok, so you can watch that. You can watch the full fight. When we posted it, we didn't have the three minute videos yet, so it, it's in like mm-hmm. five parts or whatever. But you don't miss anything, and you can just flip through and watch the whole fight. It's a it's a banger. There you go. Now. For me, I didn't go that route. I went the route of the first person we were talking about. Diaz Lawler won. The reason why that was my favorite fight, for me personally, that was what put Nick Diaz on the map for me because I really liked Robbie Lawler. Robbie Lawler, his style, uh, the way that he fought, for people that don't know, he was a big Mike Tyson fan. And he really, well, you know, he's not too different today. He's just more refined, right? But he was a big Mike Tyson fan, so he fought. The the longer you talk to him, the more that shine comes off. And Robbie (laughs) Lawler is one of the darkest guys in MMA. Well, I mean, like, for his style, though, like, he was way more, like, I don't know how to explain the way his boxing was back in the day, but. You can tell he was heavily influenced by Mike Tyson and he took more risks. You didn't have to hit him for him to take those risks. Now, yeah, he can still be dragged into a brawl, but you got to drag him into it. He doesn't come out and saying, I want a brawl. Back in the day, it was, and it wasn't like 
it wasn't a brawl like, um, you know, just wild stuff. No, he was accurate and he threw haymakers. He threw a lot of them. He knocked a lot of people out. And, you know, he had one loss at the time. Other than that one loss had, you know, pretty much knocked everybody out. And that loss was to Pete Spratt, somebody that a lot of people probably wouldn't know. And the biggest reason for that loss is one of the reasons why I think Robbie Lawler got better. And it was he was a boxer going up against a kickboxer. And Pete Spratt really just, you know, kicked the shit out of his legs till he couldn't walk anymore. And it was more like not lower leg like you see nowadays. It was more that old school thigh hip kick, right? Where, you know, a guy just can't walk anymore. But yeah, he fucked coming his, off of he that. fucked his hips up real bad. Yeah. Yeah. So coming off of that, you know, he went out there, won another one. And then the Nick Diaz fight came. And by this, around this time, you know, Nick Diaz is brand new to me. I don't know Nick Diaz like that, but I know Robbie Lawler and I really like him. And Nick Diaz really went out there and everybody was saying, he's saying he's going to try and strike with Robbie Lawler. This is a big mistake. And he went out there and KO'd Robbie Lawler on the feet. And at no point in time tried to take him down. Even when they got into like clinching, he would throw knees. He was throwing, you know, uh, shoulder strikes and everything like that. But he wanted it on the feet. And he knocked out Robbie Lawler at his own game. Not with kicks like Pete Spratt did. Good old-fashioned boxing. And it really put him on the map for me. And that fight, it was only a two-rounder. But another fight that I think still would be exciting in today's MMA. A really good fight. So that fight, it's also the fight that put Nick Diaz on the map for me. And it's... I'd say it's on my Mount Rushmore. I definitely considered it on the way there, but I just went, you know, bang for a buck. I mean, I, you know what I'm saying? But I, you can't go yeah, wrong with any of them. Yeah, I was going to say, you, you can't go wrong there. Um, And one of the best interviews, I'm paraphrasing, but it goes something like this, but you can Google the interview. There's an interview with Nick Diaz before that first, before the Robbie Lawler fight, where they said, like, something about, because we know you're not, like, a, a stand-up fighter. And he's like, "Oh, you you know that? How you know that?" And they're just kind of like, "Oh, I mean, I don't, I don't know. Yeah. I, just what we had thought." And like, they had the interviewer was stunned, had no idea what to say. And Nick Diaz just kind of punking him, and he went out and backed it up. Yeah, yeah, just a really dangerous guy. Went so Stockton, bitch. <laughs> Robbie Lawler, oh, like, no, Robbie Lawler, like, what the fuck? Wait a minute. One of the things that I forgot about. Until I rewatched that fight was Nick Diaz was talking so much shit in the fight. Steve Mazzagatti was told to, he's like, shut up, no talking in the ring. And then you hear Joe Rogan like, wait a minute. No talking, no talking in the cage. Joe Rogan was like, wait a minute, no talking in the cage. Is that a rule? <laughs> <laughs> back, but you know, back when fucking uh, Joe Rogan was just talking bad shit still. <laughs> yeah. But you know, back then too, you know, uh, there's always somebody that pioneers something into a certain industry. And you didn't have people just talking shit like that in the cage before Nick Diaz came. He brought that to the cage. You might have people talking, uh, you know, a little bit of shit before, a little bit of shit after, 
but in the cage, taunting you and talking shit, you just didn't you have didn't that before, that. Nick Diaz. Nope. Okay, next question. What fight would you have loved to see happen that never happened? And I'll give you an asterisk with this. <laughs> okay. It doesn't have to necessarily be a fight or a fighter that specifically didn't happen, but you can even change, like, let's say a fight happened at a certain period of time, but you're like, no, I really needed this fight and during this period of time. What are your thoughts? He's another guy that fought everybody, so I know this is probably a tough one. Yeah. Uh, it's a tough one. So, I think, well, just kind of shooting from the hip uh, after the Nashville brawl kind of thing. I've always liked Nick Diaz at 185. I think I kind of would have dug the uh, see him fight Mayhem Miller. Yeah. Yeah. I like that one. What's funny is I thought about that particular fight with Mayhem. And then I was like, eh, I don't know, especially because it became one of those things where when do they fight? Right. Because after that whole debacle, um, you know, Mayhem kind of went off the rails. And at that point in time, he wouldn't have moved up because his guy, that Jake fought Shields. him that night. Yeah, Jake Shields was, you know, the man at at, at that weight class uh, over in uh, Strike Force. So, but that is one of the people that I thought about also because I still think that, uh, you know, Mayhem is one of those guys. He had a weird style. I really wasn't a fan of his style, but he seemed to give some guys problems and. Had he not went off the rail and, you know, I hate to speculate, so I don't know what was going on in his personal life. But, you know, I think early on mayhem, you know, could have been a little bit of a problem for uh, Nick Diaz. I would have loved to seen it. So, yeah, I, I roll with that one. I'm going to do something completely different. I'm going to go the can, route. Uh, go ahead. Something I think could have maybe been interesting that would would never be able to happen. Mm-hmm. Nick versus Gilbert Melendez. I know they're on the same team, and that's why it would never happen. Their team don't fight each other. But Nick, when he fought Gomi, he he fought at some lower weight classes. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? When he was early on, he was really skinny. Yeah. Gilbert Melendez was always big at the weight class, uh, at lightweight. It could be an interesting fight. It's a, kind yeah. of a clash of styles. I always forget about Melendez. I was never a Gilbert Melendez fan. And I'm not exactly sure why, because I don't think he's one of those people like, he doesn't come off as a guy that's not likable. Uh, He was a good, hard fighter, you know. But for some reason, I just never became a fan of his. And I, I really couldn't even tell you why. It's not even like, it's not one of those people where I'm like, no, I don't like that guy. I literally just was like never a fan of his. So I never think about him. But, yeah, yeah. Scrap pack. So, who I put down, and I went the the other route of picking somebody that he actually did fight, but putting it at a a different point in time. So, I actually would have loved to see him versus GSP in around 2009-ish. I think that would have been a, you know, a Nick 
way more in his prime, you know, during that time. And, um, of course, GSP was still, you know, dangerous at that time. But I think it's a, I think we possibly could have seen a different fight. And I think in that 2009 time frame, Nick would have had a better chance of his game plan working of getting into getting into GSP's head. You know, he probably, you know, that's not too long after the BJP and Grease Gate. I'm pretty sure Nick would have said something like that, right? Because that fight happened in, in early 2009. Um, and just, you know, some things going on there where I think Nick could have probably gotten into to GSP's head. I think by the time they fought, GSP was just way too secure in itself to let some of uh, Nick Diaz's antics get to him that just didn't allow for, you know, that fight to go a different way. But I would have loved to have seen that fight in 2009. Thoughts on that one? Yeah, I like that. I'm kind of trying to look at the timelines and see. I think the problem is that GSP was fighting that same style. I feel like in order for Nick Diaz to have the best chance at beating him, it'd have to be before the Matt Serra knockout. Because I think before the Matt Serra knockout, GSP used to still fight. Mm -hmm. After that, he was real protective of his record and how the fight's going. He didn't want to get in there and bang no more. And I think that's when he would have tried to figure out some way to... Ultimately, I think Nick was just... uh, He was just subject to wrestling. You know what I mean? Like, in, in... Within the confines of MMA rules, he's always going to struggle against a wrestler. Now, I think in a grappling format, that's different. But I think in the MMA rule set, he's always going to have a guy that wants to take that wrestling approach with him. Yeah, I think style-wise, I think you're right. It's not that I think GSP's style changed. I think he changed mentally. That's the difference. Yes, the Matt-Sarah fight, made him more insecure to your point. By the time he got to fighting uh, Nick, he wasn't insecure anymore, right? And going back to the taunting and everything else, and, you know, I feel like Nick could have got in his head, got under his skin, because one, you're not too far removed from the Matt Sarah fight. That would have only been two years later. And once again, you have the BJP and Greasegate, which absolutely Nick Diaz would have said something about and talked about it. So I think there's some things that he possibly could have did to get into GSP's head. But I think by the time you get to, you know, what did they fight, 2013, I think they fought? Yeah, 2013. And I definitely I mean, think that's looking more towards Diaz is no longer in his prime at that point. Yeah, and... GSP mentally is just in a whole different place, a whole different place of, you know, security by that time. You know what I mean? So that's the reason why I, I, you know, I feel like it would have been uh, different. And we know that with GSP, the mental part is a big thing. It's one of the biggest reasons why he retired when he had that Johnny Hendricks fight. He, you know, saw what happened there and nothing he did to Johnny Hendricks worked. He was like, oh, shit, I'm going to go and uh, chill and 
you know, hang out in Canada with snow and bears. <laughs> and then he found a, you know, a one-eyed Michael Bisbee. He was like, wait a minute, I think I could come back for one fight. You know what? I got one. <laughs> one more. <laughs> but uh, move on to the next I one. I completely forgot yeah. uh, Bisping even def- defended his title. He got that, uh, he got the Dan Henderson fight. Yeah. Yeah. Good for you. Good for Bisping, man. Yeah, man. You know, I hated Bisping forever. And in his later careers, he actually, you know, he won me over, especially as an analyst and everything. Like, I really like him as an analyst. And even just like when he's talking on like his YouTube channel and stuff like that, I actually like Bisping. But early on, I hated Bisbee. Well, now I'm just starting to get the gist of it in, in the fight game. As in, I just realized that, you know, these guys, sometimes you kind of take it personal because it's fighting. Mm-hmm. It's a personal thing and you're a fan. But, yeah, Bisping's, yeah, yeah I agree. Yeah. He's kind of won me over. Yeah. So, now you kind of, we know that, you know, in that welterweight division, you know, pretty much in the early days, you, you only had, you know, four champions. You had two long-running champions, right? You had Matt Hughes, you had BJ, you had Matt Sarah, and you had uh, GSP. But for the most part, you had Matt Hughes and GSP for that 170 title, right? During any of that reign, do you see a path where Nick Diaz becomes champion? So we can talk about any of those eras, right? It would be hard to kind of get into the Matt Hughes era because, you know, uh, Nick was just kind of coming on and, you know, lost a couple in the UFC where he didn't end up standing in the UFC. But in general, do you see during that path, during that, you know, that span of, of time, you know, outside of maybe you almost – you pretty much got to take Matt Sarah out because he was a one and done, right? Right. Uh, immediate rematch and, you know, lost the belt back to GSP. But do you see a path to victory of a championship for Nick Diaz during that time? Or, you know? Well, I think even if we if we were to count BJ, which, I mean, that's – he has even more problems with BJ at that time. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Because mm-hmm. BJ would have still been a problem for him. When when Nick Diaz was smaller, so so Matt Hughes's era. So what I'm looking at is somewhere around when he fought Hoist Gracie, like in uh, Hoist Gracie and Trunks in 2006. Mm-hmm. Eh, no, that's when uh, Nick Diaz is still kind of losing. So it seems like you might be right. The only the time frame is probably right around. The 2009-ish time frame. Yeah, I think that was his best bet. I don't think he would have been able to maintain the title. I think it would have been another Matt Serra. I think if he was able to get that over GSP, they do a rematch and and he loses to GSP in the second fight. But, uh, yeah, you know. Yeah, I think his peak definitely came... During Matt Matt Hughes's run, he was still kind of, you know, earning his making his bones, if you will, yeah. and then, yeah. yeah, midway through GSP's run, would have been his his prime time to have done it. 
And, you know, look, he still gave us some great fights around that time. Uh, that Frank Shamrock fight was another fight that I can't put that on the list of great fights because it's against Frank Shamrock, but he sure looked good beating the piss out of him, man. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, he, he did, man. That uh, Frank Shamrock fight was a good fight. And, you know, I actually like Frank Shamrock, but he's one of those guys that's hard to like. So, you know, many people enjoy seeing him get beat up. You know, him and his brother, hard to like, but like almost for different reasons. But yeah. And, and I was They're not so hard a, to like that they don't like each other. Yeah, true. I was not a, a, a Ken Shamrock fan because, as I've mentioned on this podcast before, I was a huge Tito Ortiz fan. Tito Ortiz is probably the person that's the reason why I'm an MMA fan. And it's so painful to say that with who Tito Ortiz ended up being. But yeah, I was a huge Tito Ortiz fan. And of course, he hated Ken Shamrock and all of the uh, 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 Lions Den. Yeah, all of the Lions Den. So hey, I, some of the, I inherited that beef. Some of the cringiest TV ever made is on the Ultimate Fighter when Tito yeah. and Ken were because they're both big scary guys, but neither of them are actually very good at the talking shit. Like if yeah. they're in WWE, they should both have like managers, like a Bobby Heenan right. to do yeah. their talking for them. And uh, they're in this staring match where everybody's breaking it up, and you know trying to stop them from getting to each other and at some point they're just talking shit like yeah yeah we'll see like we will see like where even their little the people on their team are like okay let's this is getting lame let's wrap this up you guys are embarrassing yeah, it was, yourself it was terrible yeah and the ufc is wrong for letting tito beat the shit out of him that many times over and that's over just wrong yeah it was just wrong but hey the ref that stopped that that first that uh, Tito mm-hmm. versus Ken Shamrock fight, he mm-hmm. thought he was jumping in to save him a beating. He actually got him beat worse because he said it was an early stoppage and made, gave him a whole nother fight. Yeah. He should have just let him go an extra 10 or 15 seconds and save Ken Shamrock a whole nother. Well, whatever. Ken Shamrock got a yeah. payday. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so career path. Actually, hmm. Yeah, why not? We'll throw that out there. For Nick Diaz, what do you think? We kind of talked about his path and, you know, where he kind of went to. Uh, He was in the UFC pretty early on as far as his career. You know, him getting into the UFC. He was in a WC, then came over to the UFC. Now, of course, this was before, you know, UFC bought them and rolled everything over. Had, you know, some success in the UFC as we talked about. Um, you know, including the win over uh, Robbie Lawler. But then, you know, after having, you know, I don't know, maybe about seven fights in the UFC, somewhere around there, he went on a skid. And and back then, for people that didn't know, especially because now we see guys with six losses, seven losses in the UFC that didn't get cut yet. Back then, you never got – I don't think anybody got more than three losses – in a yeah. row in the UFC and didn't and get cut. Two. A lot of times it was two. Yep, exactly. So he had three losses, you know, got, you know, cut, came back, went to Elite XC, kind of moved around. But he definitely seemed like a guy that early on knew and understood his worth. 
and went for the money. You know what I mean? But where are your thoughts on his path? So I think, uh, I think he kind of made the right move. It it seems like an odd choice because he paid his dues and, you know, made his bones through the UFC and then uh, decided, okay, once he was on the upswing, decided to go elsewhere. But the reason I appreciate it is I think he was ahead of his time in that he realized that when he was on a downside, you know what I mean? And he thinks those losses are bullshit because he thinks he won every fight. Because, I mean, Nick Diaz never lost a fight. You know what I mean? So he, Not won every right, fight. So he, he thinks those are all wins any guy anyways. And he yes. smacked all those dudes. And they're all yes. bitches. Yes. You know? And then the UFC is just going to cut them. Right. And, and all they want to st- do is, you know, he's supposed to be the ground guy. But all they want to do is take him down. You know? Because yeah. they're bitches. Right. Because yeah. they're bitches. And that's why. And he smacked them all. And, uh... So then he gets cut, but then as soon as he wins, you know, the UFC's back on board, and now they're mad that he wants to go somewhere else. But I think, as we're joking about it, but that led him to a realization that a lot of fighters didn't get that, hey, they'll turn their back on me with the quickness the second I start losing, so why shouldn't I try and go somewhere that's going to work out better for me? And... Mm-hmm. And I think it might have actually helped his career because, I mean, who knows? You know, he might have went on and dominated the UFC, but against some of that stiffer competition, you know, he might have had a little bit more ups and downs that made him a definite, a definitive journeyman, you know, whereas I think he was able to make some money because he's a marketable dude and kind of that absence makes the heart grow fonder everybody's pining for him while he's refining his skills and putting all this back together, which you might not have been able to, which you might not have been able to do in the UFC fighting for his life. Every fight, you know, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. And we know, especially at 170, and we talked about this, you know, we talked about this last year, but 170 has always been a wrestling heavy division right the champions are always wrestlers is is very rare that we have a leon edwards right it's usually always uh you know a usman a gsp uh uh matt hughes it's a wrestling heavy division and right. so well, i mean you know the two big ones you know matt hughes and gsp obviously and usman mm-hmm. who was rivaling that as a wrestler but in between even woodley right wrestler, yep you know it's yep. it's that division and absolutely and so i think and to even, I'm sorry, just, Leon mm-hmm. Edwards is actually the aberration because even BJ Penn and Matt Serra were still grapplers. They weren't wrestlers per se, but the, yeah. Leon Edwards is kind of like the first yeah. stand-up champion. Yeah, no, I, I would agree. I definitely agree. Yeah, so he, you know, when you look at that, he would have, you know, he would have been in a situation where everybody would have, you know, slowly started coming out and grappling at him. And of course, we know coming, we had the, you know, the Josh Koscheck's and the, and the John Fitches and and of course GSP. And you know, how many times do you can you fight those guys and go through what they're gonna do, putting you on the ground, ground and pound? Right. And going back to what you mentioned about. You if, know, if you him, th- oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. 
him getting like cut up and stuff like that. If you remember with the rules, I think both Elite XC and Strike Force had, they didn't have elbows on the ground. So if you were grounding and pounding somebody, it was only punches, which helps a lot if you're, uh, you know, a Nick Diaz or somebody like that. So you're able to go somewhere else. You don't have to fight as many wrestlers. You can put on exciting shows. You can build your name up and your stock up even more. And then to your point, the UFC is always going to want you back. You you go out there, you do something great. No matter what Dana White says, the UFC will have you back every time. And now you can demand a GSP fight. You know, you can demand some of those bigger fights and you get a title. So they always have to speak about you in a certain regard. What were you about to say? You're muted. Yeah. What I was going to say was, and it's stupid as well. I didn't mean to cut you off, but like you mentioned Josh Koscheck. You thought Paul Daly took a dirty swing at Josh Koscheck? Could you imagine yeah. Nick Diaz having to deal <laughs> with Koscheck's mouth and attitude and then yeah. the probable grapple fucking he would have got? So now he has to lose this fight without barely even getting punched. Oh, yep. Yeah, it would have been it terrible. Been bad. It would have been terrible. Totally agree. Do you think that uh, right now, I definitely don't want to see, so I don't even want to put that question out there. I don't want to see Nick Diaz in any MMA promotions. I think he's still a great talent that can, you know, go and do a lot of stuff, but I don't want that to be MMA. But I do want him to retire and technically technically he could still have his farewell match right he just fought Robbie Lawler in 2021 you know it was only a little over a year ago right even though we're in 2023 it was in September 2021 right so about a year and a half ago right he fought and as we talked about it, it wasn't even that he was that bad. It, to me, it was more the he was out of shape. And, you know, we found out later it may have been some injuries and things. That's the reason why he was out of shape. But if he could have a farewell fight and he did come back for one, in today's time, who would you love to see him in a farewell fight against? Well, it's tough because... I feel like I still would like to see him fight Robbie Lawler. But I'd like to make sure he could do it with a camp that, you know, he could have his, you know, his timeline and, you know, make sure he could be ready at his best to kind of wrap up that trilogy. You know, I think that's an option. You know, there's not a lot of dead weight at 170 is the problem. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I would have it against a person that's not in the UFC and haven't been in the UFC for a hundred years. I need that Joe Riggs fight ran back. (laughs) I need that Joe Riggs fight ran back. This is the reason why. One, You know where Joe Riggs is at? He's at bare knuckle. Mm -hmm. Yeah, not there. (laughs) But yeah, I need that Joe Riggs fight back. Joe Riggs is another one of those guys, man. He 
he had all the talent in the world. Joe Reese could have really been like, he's a dangerous guy, but, and you know, he, he'll talk about this himself. He had a lot of, you know, like, I don't know the right word to use and I don't want to make it sound bad, but he like had a lot of mental things going right. on all yeah. through his career that he, he talked about it. Obviously there I think some, substance abuse issues that he's had yeah, to walk through. And I, I think there's some demons or something that he was fighting for that, but talent wise, he was really good. I think he was ahead of his time in a lot of ways. And the problem was he, he's one of those guys that, would let a lot of stuff get into his head and it would affect him fighting. But, I, you know, that was actually a loss for Nick Diaz and they never, you know, ended up running that back. And I would love to see that one back. And although Joe Riggs possibly retired for M- from MMA two years before, Nick's last fight, as you mentioned, well, he is over in bare knuckle, although I don't want to see that fight in bare knuckle. I would love to see that one ran back. And I think it's, it's fighters from the same era, right? So you're not putting any one of them in against some new hungry killer. And I still think that would be a good, exciting fight that I would love to see ran back. So I actually thought about this one earlier too, and I don't know why I blanked on it. But yeah, we're we're pulling in retired guys, right? We can kind of just do this however. Yeah. yeah. What about Matt Brown? Nick Diaz, Matt Brown? Matt Brown is a scary one for for the cuts, man. You know? You know he's coming in with elbows. His goal probably would be would be just to cut Nick Diaz up, you know? I mean, I like the matchup, but that's a scary one for Nick with, with all the scar tissue, you know? Or now that they're both, they were at different points in their career when they fought the first time. Now they're both in very different part places now. But uh, Carlos Condit rematch. I like that one. I like that one a lot. Yeah. I like that one a lot. I think that could be a good one. And that's another one where, you know, he lost and he has a chance to get that one back. I like that one a lot. And, um, uh, I got one that's uh, not a box or not a boxing. Uh, I got a boxing one. Him and Anderson no. Silva. No, my bad. No, no boxing. God no, no. I, that's actually that's actually a good one. That probably would be a really good one. I mean, with gloves, um, regular boxing. I yeah, just think. Well, like Nick yeah, Diaz like literally boxing. Silva. Yeah, yeah. No, I like that one a lot because they had a very interesting MMA fight. I actually didn't give, even with Anderson being on a downturn, I didn't think that Nick Diaz, I really didn't give him a chance in that fight. And he did really good in that fight, you know. Of course, it's a no contest. Anderson won that one, but he popped for some type of banned substance that was like, I don't know if it was a steroid, but it was something related over on that side. And then at the same time, Nick popped for marijuana again, right? So it's a no contest, but I would tell people to go back and watch that fight, but I don't think a lot of people would like that fight, uh, new age people, but it was another one of those fights that I liked it. It was interesting to me, but no, I actually like that matchup in boxing. It's, I would watch uh, that. If you watch that fight, 
I think most people would be surprised how much respect Anderson showed for yeah. Nate Diaz. I and uh, be honest, because, you know, you're talking about, you know, his chances at 170 or whatever of mm-hmm. ever having won the belt. I actually think I like him better at 185 than uh, I do at, at Welter. See, this is the problem. Now, I got to go back in the timeline. I don't remember what year Anderson won the title because I think outside of Anderson Silva, I give him a good chance at that title. But, you know, prime Anderson Silva, I just don't think he beats prime Anderson Silva. I lost you for a second there, but. So I'm not necessarily saying he beats Anderson Silva in his prime. I'm just saying that when he's fought at higher weight classes, because he fought Anderson at middleweight, he fought Scott Smith at Frank Shack, uh, we're both at around 180, and he's always looked good and fairly strong, but it's a natural strong because he's not a weightlifter guy, you know? But I feel like... When you factor in the fact that 170 is primarily wrestling heavily, heavy, like you said. Um, and I mean, I'm talking real pie in the sky. I'm just saying, Nick, it always looks like he's carried the weight well when he did just put on the weight instead of cutting down. And uh, I think with like a little bit of a strength and conditioning program with his natural skill set, it might have been a better fit for a division where he could maybe do a lot more with this jujitsu. Now, today in 2023, all the middleweights are 6-3 and they're really 200 something pounds. Not, you know, but I'm just saying at at some point, I think um it could have been maybe a better look at a, you know. Yeah, a, no. I wasn't saying that you were saying that he would beat Anderson Silva. What I was saying was I wanted to see what year Anderson won the title because I think outside of Anderson Silva, okay. he could he has a chance against any of those guys. So the Rich Franklins, the Evan Tanner, well, Evan was at I think he got his at two oh five. Well, no, know, I think anyway, he was in middleweight. Was it okay? But uh, so I wanted to go and see when Silva won because if you remember the whole point of that original question about Nick Diaz was pick somewhere in the timeline could he have been champion. So right. you raising this, now I go back and I say, well, could he have been champion at 185? Because I Rich Franklin wasn't a small guy. He was a, you know, but do I give him a chance against Rich Franklin? I do. And Rich Franklin, it looks like it probably would have been too early for him. That's 06 when Rich Franklin lost the title to 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 Anderson. It probably would have been too early, but I think outside of Anderson Silva, because at that point in time, you know, Anderson goes on a tear. He's in his prime. I think outside of that, there's not too many people to your point at that weight class that I think he I wouldn't have gave him a chance against, if that makes sense. But I do want to throw my... I want to throw my my next question out there just so we don't run out of time. We only got like three questions left and then we can expand on anything. But so next question is who would you want to see him in a grappling match against today? 
Bo Nickel. <laughs> you 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 wouldn't put pick that right. Would you? I mean, I always like wrestling. Ver- I always want to see wrestling versus jujitsu in a straight up grappling format versus you know an MMA format because because it's very different outcomes because they're different. Yeah, sports. I hate that idea. So <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you who I would love to see him in against though. I would love to see him against one of these new age guys, like a Gary Tonin or somebody like that. Not the not the big guys, but you know, Gary Tonin fights at fifty five, I think, over in one. You know, he's a, he's one of the original Danaher Death Squad dudes, really crafty in his jujitsu. You know, I would love to see him against like somebody like that, somebody new age that I want to see kind of some of that old school jujitsu versus new school, but with a guy that's long and crafty, like a Nick Diaz, I think, I think it would be an interesting matchup. I didn't think of anybody like there was nobody that, that he kind of fought in MMA that I was like, I really want to see that as a grappling match. You know what I mean? But I'd be interested in seeing him against some of these new school uh, jujitsu guys. Dylan Dennis. Yeah, that would be a good one. I like that one. Yeah, I, I mean, definitely he's, like that one. It's like Nick is kind of the youngest of that old generation. You know, mm-hmm. he's of that old generation of guys, but he started at like 16, whereas yep. Dylan Dennis is, you know, he's not a young guy, but he's yeah. uh, an of age representative of that new school. Yeah, it's funny, too, because, like, uh, you know, we talked about that Robbie Lawler fight. I think that was, like, fight number 12 or 13 for Nick Diaz. He was only 20 years old in that fight, mm-hmm. you know? <laughs> well, there's so a a Nick Diaz story where he he was at an MMA fight. He just won, and then he was back in the locker room or whatever, and someone was like, hey, man, you uh, it's real impressive. You look real good out there. He's like, I better. I dropped out of school for this shit. <laughs> there it is. Which is funny. That's funny in MMA, but in boxing, that's been going on forever. You know, yeah. you rarely see it in MMA. Like, you know, the the young lady we just lost, uh, Victoria Lee, over in one. I think she started fighting in one at like 16, 17 or something like that. But in boxing, you see that stuff. You just, it's not, you don't see it. It's rare in MMA that you really see somebody that young, particularly in a big promotion, you know? Right. Well, but, and if you um, don't, you see it in, uh, in boxing a lot. You see it a lot in, like, the Mexican communities. And then you mm-hmm. see that Rosa's uh, guy that's coming out, like, is real young like that. And we're yeah. not used to it in America because if you look at where most of our American fighters come from, it's usually from wrestling or something like that. Yeah. So they're guys that graduated went to college now they do a wrestling career and now where if you're the football national champion or the basketball national champion you get drafted and you make millions of dollars and if you're the wrestling of the national championship now you just graduate and go get your job at ups or whatever yep. it was you were going to do and nobody ever gives a shit ever again you know yep, exactly so exactly we're used to them coming from that but yeah there's a lot of uh places where People just get into that shit really are. Yeah, I agree. Now, this next question, of course, is for you. 
And this is why I didn't want you to go down this road earlier. Okay. This is going to be an in his prime question. In his prime, who would you have loved to see him fight in a bare knuckle boxing match? In his prime. And you can pick whatever time frame you're thinking about that you see, you know, his prime boxing. Who would you have loved to Nick see Nick Diaz in his fight? prime versus mm-hmm. blank. You want me to go first? Yeah, I think I do. I would love to see him versus KJ Nunes. They had some very interesting fights. Um, they had some good fights. KJ Nunes is another person that most people probably wouldn't have any idea who who he is. But, you know, he was like one of the first model MMA guys. And when I say model, like, you know, these guys that look like they probably should be a model and shouldn't be fighting, right? And matter of fact, he may have even been, because a lot of those guys like that, they really do have other careers as models and stuff. They just happen to like fighting, right? But uh, they had some pretty good fights. If you like, if you look up KJ Nunes, you you would say, oh, he he's nobody. Going back to like what we talked about with some of these records or whatever. But in particular, they fought twice. They're one and one. And in particular, that last fight that they had was a really good, exciting fight. And as I mentioned to you. It was, I think, fight of the year that year. But uh, K.J. Nunes is another stand-up fighter. Not a really big guy, but, you know, also a guy that can, you know, throw some volume and everything like that. And I just think it would would have been a really interesting bare-knuckle fight that uh, I would have loved to see. And two guys that nobody's going to gas out. Both are going to go out there and throw shots and, yeah, I would love to see that one. No, that is, that is a really good one because their beef was a little different. And uh, the Noons family, I remember the dad, it was kind of gross. He was in there. He said, they're a bunch of punks from Stockton. Yeah. You know? yeah. <laughs> Whatever. Like, your dad's going to fight the Diaz brothers. I, I, I see a You know, big that's guy. like Tyson Fury's dad always. There's a couple of dads out there that's always try to get in a beef with whoever yeah. their kids is fighting. I don't get it, but hey. So, I think the way we'll end the trilogy is uh, we'll go with Robbie Lawler. And if we do that one, Bare Knuckle, here's the thing, is that skews the advantage a little bit more towards Nick Diaz. Because I think when you look at both their styles, the problem is, okay, the Diaz brothers split open, right? That's the problem. Here's the thing, though. In Bare Knuckle... Everybody does. So they're used to that, right? Right. It's going to happen. But the way the Diaz brothers fight, which is a unique style, it's kind of crazy. We didn't really even talk about that too much at all. But, uh, you know, they kind of do that pitter-pat boxing style. But then when they go to the body, they really dig to the body, you know? So they'll just be one-two in, you know, jabs at, like, you know, those lazy hooks at, like, 50 to 70%. And then the second you cover up, They'll just rip you hard, you know, to the rib cage and stuff. Right. And that style is very geared towards a bare knuckle style of fighting. And uh, I think that skews that fight a little bit in his, uh, you know, his vantage. Yeah. I like that one. What, what what year would you put that one then? So they fought really early in their career and they fought at the end of their career. So Where would you place that one? Hold on. Let me see. I got to look at Robbie's. 
career trajectory real quick before I say this because we've talked a lot about Robbie Lawler all of a sudden, and uh, I got to. Yeah, Okay. no, no worries. So I'm going to put this for both of them right around 20, 2017. So it's the same way we went with the last one. Mm-hmm. But the reason I say 2017 is I think this 2014, 2015, uh, Robbie Lawler's still a little too much in his prime where Nick mm-hmm. Diaz is fading. But I think once we get around 2017, it evens you know, out a little bit. It evens out a little bit. So coming off the uh, Anderson Silva fight, that's when you're still you've had some action recently. You know what I mean? You've only fought the best in the world. Do it then. I like I it. Say, yeah, I want to say 2017. I like it. I don't disagree with that one at all. Final question: MMA Hall of Fame. Yes or no? Well, does it have, doesn't the UFC Hall of Fame have like a Pioneers division? They do. Uh, while you're talking, I'll look up all the uh, all the different, because they got like, I think like five different divisions as to how you can get in the, the UFC Hall of Fame. Right. I think that's kind of tough because I think his actual era of dominance was so small. So I Mm -hmm. think like his career, the successes have been so kind of sporadic and a lot of the failures that we still give him credit for, you know, because their losses on the highest level are still losses. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I think it's kind of hard to put him in an MMA Hall of Fame unless you do it in some kind of like a MMA Hall of Fame like subset you know what i mean like i said some kind of thing for like pioneers or i know how they have have like great fights or something like that but it's ironic because when we cover tech and nora gomi and you asked me this question i'm not a big gomi fan and i felt like it was pretty easy to say yeah put him in Mm -hmm. but diaz i am a fan of and i think that's a little harder to say yeah the so Right now, the UFC has the modern wing. And I'll I'll read what each of these are. This one is celebrating champions who made their pro debuts in the age of the unified rules, uh, which went into effect in UFC 28, November 28th, 2000. So we got the modern wing. Pioneer wing, and see... So, yeah, he would have had to go into, he definitely started in, well, did he start in the, let me see. Yeah, I'm pretty sure he started in the 2000s. Let's see. He, yeah, he just made it into the modern way, 2001. <laughs> so he just, just made it into the modern way. But Pioneer Wing, commemorating the original innovators of MMA who uh, turned pro before the event of the unified rules. So he would not have fit into that one based upon their, now this is their definition of pioneer. Uh, You do have though a fight wing and that is based around certain fights, right? And so for example, you got Jones Gustafson in that wing. You got Sanchez Guida. 
this is the only way a Guida would have gotten into, you know, the the fight wing. And I think this one was was brought because you have to put Forrest Griffin and Stephen Bonner in the Hall of Fame some type of way. And I think that's what this was. So it's uh, recognizing the greatest, most memorable, and historical Im- important UFC bouts. The question is, does he have a UFC bout that's that big? And then the final one is the contributors wing, which these are all non-fighters. So uh, that's what we have right now. So if we were mirroring this, in my opinion, it would be it would be hard for him to go in, but we have Forrest Griffin in that wing. Right. Now, we don't have anybody in there that's not a former UFC champion, though. Right. So that's what I'm looking at is, so definitely not in the UFC Hall of Fame. I was just kind of looking at kind of some of their tiers to kind of yeah, apply how they, to the how MMA Hall of Fame. Yep. And here's the thing is it's tough because... I mean, he's got a decent win streak here when, uh, what would we call it? So 10, 10 fight win streak after, and that would have been longer that KJ Noon's loss was a doctor's stoppage, which is a pretty tough loss. He was kind of beating his ass. You know what I mean? Gets back cut. Yeah. It's been, mm-hmm. So he had a decent streak there, but the things I'm kicking around is you got that Oma Plata. And then you got possibly the greatest round of MMA all time. And I got to figure there's got to be kind of somewhere, somewhere for there. You know what I mean? So I don't know if he's in there as a the MMA Hall of Fame as a fighter, you know, because that would track based on your career trajectory. But I think he's somewhere in there somehow in the Hall of Fame's MMA's greatest submissions. Well, this is the thing, because you brought up a good point there, so I went back and looked at his record again. The Gomi fight I already talked about in the beginning, that's a win. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was in Japan, in Pride, the steroid capital of the world at that time. It was in time. Vegas, though. It was for Pride, but it was in Vegas. You, you'll get what I'm saying when I say it. Okay. I'm talking about the, 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 the organization, okay. Pride Japan, right? The steroid capital and, you know, a guy loses based on marijuana. You know, to me, it's like, eh, you know, in, in a fight that, I mean, yeah, he went out there and took it to Gummy. So you take that and then to your point that Noons fight, if you erase those, you know, you're talking about you know, a nice streak that he went on from 2006 all the way until 2012 before he lost again, right? And in between that time, similar to Gomi, yeah, he didn't get a a UFC title, but he did get, you know, titles in other uh, promotions, including the second, you know, the number two promotion in... America at that time, which was Strike Force. So, and he had, what was it, three, I think I read off earlier, title defenses in 
in uh, Strike Force. I'll tell yeah, you. Yeah, he had second. three title defenses. Yeah, you know what I mean. So, yeah, it's one of those where it's a it's it's, it's an hard. Anderson Silva esque streak. Yeah, and what's difficult is caliber of fighter. Well, not just that. The thing that I think makes him a little bit different than Gomi, as we talked about, I think Gomi was in the area where all the small guys were and was winning at that time. He hit his streak after being cut from the UFC as far as Nick Diaz, where at that time the best 170 fighters were. Right. So it's like, you know, I think, it's possible he can get in in some type of way, but I think, you know, I think there are some considerations. I, I don't think he's a first ballot, definitely. But like you said, I think there are some other things because I see the Pioneer division being very different than what the UFC is calling the Pioneer division. And based on what I see as a Pioneer division, I think he can go in there. Or, you know, create something new like a game-changer division. So I feel a, like he, he can almost be a pioneer from any time period. I mean, is Conor McGregor not a pioneer in MMA? I agree. Yeah, I agree. You know, is Ronda yeah, Rousey not a pioneer? I mean, Ronda Rousey is all-time great at everything. Right, right. It's Ronda Rousey. So <laughs> Of course. I'm know, sorry. Let's not even go there. I'm sorry. Yeah, I didn't mean to break that. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. That was uh that was pretty much it. Did you have anything else? Uh no, I think that's about it. Okay. Uh well, this wraps up another Fat Boy MMA podcast. Hopefully, you know, as Locke mentioned, uh we're going to do more and more of these gloves and roses. I think these are really good especially if either it's some fights or fighters you haven't seen in a while, you don't know a lot about, or you're new to the industry. And, uh, you know, you want to hear about some fighters that, you know, you're not hearing about every day. Uh, we will throw in some that, you know, are just doing great things today, but this gives us free range to really just dive into any fighter, the history, uh, you know, fights they've had and everything like that, and really give uh, roses to those fighters. So uh, hopefully you like the episode. You look like you're about to say yeah, something. Yeah, well, uh, now based on that, I actually do have something. So I want to nominate Robbie Lawler. So even if just one motherfucker, just one person will second yes. it, I can make that happen. Yes. So just listen, anybody out there. Listen, one Robbie's on the list for sure. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everybody. Thank you for listening and come again. That wraps up another great Fat Boy MMA podcast. If you have a topic for us, please email us at topic at fatboymma.com or reach out to us on social media by going to links.fatboymma.com. Thank you for listening. <laughs>